What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. We're doing our mini-series reviewing business books and strategy books and marketing books that we think innovators and entrepreneurs could benefit from uh, in our Top Reads episode. Today, my co-host is Daniel Taylor. Be alive to somebody else's needs. It's hard. It's really easy to go home and still be thinking about work and thinking about what I want to have happen and, and what I need to get done on my list. This is another episode of Innovation and Leadership. Today, we're going to be picking from the 400-plus books on business, marketing, and strategy that we've read and talking about one of them that we feel like can have a big impact on innovators and entrepreneurs as they try to invent the future. As always, in addition to learning from the show, we hope you'll consider clicking on the Child Rescue tab on our website, iCollective.co, to see how you can help change the life of a child that's been rescued from abuse and trafficking. Also, we love all of you who've been emailing to tell us what parts of the episodes you really liked or, or what was helpful to you. And to everybody else, if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at stories at iCollective.co. And now on to the episode. Thanks for making time. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So today we're going to talk about a new book from the Arbinger Institute, The Outward Mindset. Um, I'm obviously a huge fan of these guys, you know, studying their stuff, being a client for a decade, then going to work for them for three years. Um, tell me tell me what jumped out at you when you read this book. I um, It's very practical. So I had read uh, Leadership and Self-Deception a few years ago and fell in love with their um, verbiage and the way they talked about these concepts. And they had practical examples there too, but I feel like the outward mindset really had some case studies, you know, really effective case studies. Um, from the very beginning, they start out with the, uh, Kansas city SWAT team and they, and they take these examples where these people, um, the way I see it, they're not necessarily doing better than everybody else. They are being different. They're very different. Um, the SWAT team, uh, went on a raid and, uh, Ultimately, at the end of the raid, uh, you know, one of the one of the members is mixing formula for infants for the infants that they've you know they've just busted in their house, and um, it's incredible. Uh, we would never associate a SWAT team mixing formula for infants, right? Um, and there's just example after example like that in the book, and and it was practical for someone like me. I'm not going in the SWAT team, but uh, the principles are super real when you can see that kind of application. So, um, what about you? Yeah, I've got a lot. I mean, I love those stories. Um, there's a reason I picked Chip Huth to be episode number one of, of all of Ideation Collective. Uh, that's the guy who was the head of the Kansas City high-risk search warrant team that uh, these stories are taken from. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, again, I just this stuff changed my life, you know, almost 15 years ago. And uh, so it's been the reason I've given away so many copies of the books over the year and then you know, we actually decided to move so that we could come work for these guys, move the, pick up the kids and move 700 miles away just to work for these guys and try and get more of it in the bones. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the stories that 
is fascinating um, to me is where they have looked at maybe not necessarily people they've taught, but other people who are living these principles anyways, maybe even if they don't call them this by the same name. Um, so why don't you talk about for just one second what, what the outward mindset is as you, from how you read the book. Right. And then uh, let's talk about the collection agency. Right. Um, you know, there's a way to, uh, there's two ways, um, to see people, um, when you are doing any behavior and the outward mindset is to be alive to other people's needs and feelings to understand that they're human and they have objectives and, and needs too. Um, and then the other way to see them would be to, um, discount those things and to, to objectify them more. And, um, and so, you know, as a, it would be totally acceptable to us, I think, as if that SWAT team had gone in and done that raid and, and rounded up the bad guys and taken them out and, and left everybody else there and, uh, left the babies crying and, and whatever. But to with, with their moms, right, right, with their moms. <laughs> but to go into a situation like that, which I would assume is high intensity and adrenaline pumping, and to be sensitive enough to think, you know, I I can go mix formula right now for these infants. That's unreal to me. Um, that member of the SWAT team was obviously alive to the needs of those people. He wasn't discounting. You know, he's not saying he's not even worried about their character, right? He's saying they're humans, right? And all humans have, uh, these needs and objectives similar to my own. And, uh, ultimately that causes people to, um, we're still doing the same behavior. Um, but the way we do it and, and the things that ultimately leads us to do are so effective and, and produce so much value. Um, there's a lot of other examples that we'll get into here where it just, uh, it results in incredible success um, in the business world. Um, but Well, I'm interested. Uh, let's even talk, you know, in the personal life too, let alone, let alone work. Um, well, we, we can start with a work example. So um, can you think about a situation where maybe some of our newer staff or interns or something are getting on your nerves, whatever, and how this kind of stuff applies in a situation like that? Right. So... When we first ended up with, you know, six or seven people showing up at the table every day, I thought I was doing a great job of saying, hey, will you work on that? Hey, will you work on that? And they all had things to do, um, but it seemed like every five minutes or so I was getting a question and a question that needed a little more than a yes or no. And so I would go home at the end of the day and my to-do list was as big as ever and there's you know, it was a little bit smaller. I had helped them, but I hadn't gotten anything I wanted to get done done. And it was really frustrating at first. And I was like, why can't they just figure things out on their own? And, uh, why, <laughs> why, why is that not natural to people? And, and then I started thinking, you know what? I remember in school, in college, not long before when, uh, a professor would give an assignment or a project or whatever, a paper, uh, we would all ask questions until everything was so clear that we couldn't make a mistake because we we're worried about this grade. Um, and these are interns coming out of college and they are in that mindset, right? I want to do everything right. I don't want, I want to get an A plus and, uh, I don't want to make any mistakes. And so I was like, you know what? I need to be approachable so that they'll ask me questions. 
but I also need to be helpful and I need to empower them so that they feel like they can go do those things. Right. I need to make it clear that like, I'm not giving you an A and I'm not going to give you an F. I need you guys to, to try these things and learn for yourselves. And, uh, through kind of my behavior and my warmth and my, um, seeing them in that regard, it, things helped, things changed. You know, I wanted them to ask me questions, just not every five minutes, but, uh, over time, uh, people would start sending work to me and saying, Hey, I'm done. What else can I do? Instead of saying, how do I start? Um, and you know, I'm still working at that, but that was an awesome, that was, that was definitely an example of how to, uh, instead of be frustrated by people, uh, to be alive to their, the reasons why they're asking those questions. So, Sure. Um, I, I do think that what's fascinating about these guys and, um, for anybody who doesn't know Terry Warner, the guy who thought this all up 30 years ago, you know, Yale PhD taught at university here in the States for 30 years, taught at Oxford. Um, his book bonds that make us free is probably my all time favorite. Right. Um, but, um, I think part of like the power, the magic of all this too is ideas that you come up with, you wouldn't have come up with otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, will you talk about the, the bill collector that they talk about in the book? Yeah, I love this. Um, we are familiar, I think, with how most collections agencies operate. And there was a guy, I'm going to fail on the details here, but he, um, he had a collections agency and uh, he, he realized that, you know, so many people weren't able to pay whatever they were supposed to, right? They weren't able to um, make good with their debt. And instead of punishing them or, you know, writing them off as incompetence or whatever, he uh, does a little research and he finds out why, you know, why can't you pay the bills? Why can't you do this? And he starts to see that all these people have these ridiculous needs. And of course they're not able to pay back their debt. Um, and, uh, you know, they're somebody, you know, somebody in the family, the provider in the family is in jail or, uh, they're, or the provider in the family's ill or the, you know, all sorts of things going on, um, that's resulting in them being unable. And, uh, some of them were homeless and living out of their car. And, and there was just thing after thing after thing. So instead of thinking, you know, I'm in a hopeless, uh, market or whatever, he decides and, and convinces his whole company to go help these people, you know, let's get them to where they can pay back, right? Let's, let's help them with their needs and their situations. And, uh, I don't remember how long it took, but within some matter of time, they turn into this crazy successful collections agency, right? You know, I remember, um, I was, I was working with these guys at the time when, uh, one of my coworkers over there, Chris Wallace, found this story. I'm pretty sure he was the one who started emailing it first. Maybe found it at Harvard Business Review or something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. And um, to me, at first, when they started telling the story, it's like, oh, that's nice. It's a feel-good story. And then at the end, they're like, and we are 100% more profitable than our second-place competition. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Yeah. Right? The, my inner capitalist swine like picked right up, right? <laughs> the inner investor in me, right? Yeah. And um, it's interesting, though, this detail of, all these shoulds that you wouldn't expect, they've crossed the line. So he started doing things like having his people start finding job interviews for these for these people to go to so they could get a better job. Right. So they could afford to make their collections payment. Right. Who does that, right? No. And then 
you know, doubling down on that one, they found that people weren't even making the job interview. So someone from the collections agency would help them make a resume, help them submit for a job, and then the person wouldn't even show up for it. Right, right. So again, one more chance to maybe objectify somebody else or something like this, right? Have the inward mindset, as this book talks about. Yeah. And I can't believe I did all this work and they can't even show up. No, instead... That what they do is they start giving wake-up calls. Yeah. <laughs> they help them with the resume. They help them get the job interview. And then they give them a wake-up call and a preparation interview to prepare this person for the interview to get the job so they can make enough money to pay off their collections. Right. And it just seems like way too much work. How could that be profitable? Um, but he ended up doing things like they found all these community services of so-and-so will help come clean up your yard and so-and-so will help, like, just random community services. I think he has, like, I don't know, I want to say like 150 service organizations that they're tied into. So if they have a client that has this issue, they call one of these other service organizations to see if this charity or this nonprofit helps with that. Right. And it's just like they completely out-help the competition. Right. And it's just, you know, again, the efficiency guy in me is thinking, this is so inefficient. There's no way this could pay off. <laughs> but the, the numbers prove it. Yeah. You know, this like deeply in touch with the other human beings, that what the book calls the outward mindset. Mm-hmm. Um. A, has the big financial results. But B, what do you think it feels like to work at a place like that? I know. What are your, like, how much are your coworkers smiling when they get somebody a job and they're like, wow, this actually worked. I can't believe that. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, so to me, it's not just the feel good. It's the, the numbers to back it up. Right. Um, what, about, what about in the home life? Can you think of a time that this type of mindset uh, applies? Uh, I feel like anybody who's been married you know, a week past the honeymoon. Yeah. Or actually, let's not even talk about, about anybody who can get through all the wedding planning <laughs> to get married. Yeah. yeah. But you're, you're a married guy. You've got a kid. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about a place that might show up in your life. Oh my goodness. I, I feel like this is something that has to happen every day. Um, marriage is awesome. Having a kid is awesome. It's, it's definitely the best thing ever, but it takes so much more work than, than ever before. And, uh, it's really easy to worry about yourself and we're as humans, we're really good at worrying about ourselves. And when you are living with them, you're saying, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to worry about you too. Um, but when that's put to the test, you know, you find out how the limits of your character and the limits of your patience. And, uh, all the time when it's, uh, I get home from work and, and I'm feeling like, man, I just worked so hard. I don't, I don't need to do dishes. I don't need to help with the baby. I don't need to, you know, uh, and if I'm asked to, I'm frustrated and like, yeah, you got to stay home all day and do this and that. And, um, instead being alive to my wife's needs and, uh, and the needs of my child and, uh, putting myself in her shoes that, you know, it's cliche, but it really helps to think of taking care of the baby all day and, and taking care of all these other matters and what that would really be like and how exhausted she must be. And then I'm so willing to do it. Right. Um, but until we take that little mental time to really be alive to somebody else's needs, it's hard. Uh, it's really easy to go home and still be thinking about work and thinking about what I want to have happen and, and what I need to get done on my list of at home stuff. But, uh, uh, if I can take a sec on the drive home or, or when I get home to think of, well, how's my wife's day been and what can I do for her? And, um, how much on my to-do list really needs to get done and how much really gets done anyways. <laughs> So, uh, that's a daily thing. Um, and I'm sure there are, uh, more large scale, uh, moments of stress in life when, when I'll need this in the future. But 
I don't know. That's what I've seen so far. You know, what I think is kind of magic about these books and, and, you know, Jim Farrell and Mitch Warner who wrote this, uh, you know, I've got so much respect for, um, <laughs> there's so many times in my CEO coaching where my friends that know Mitch, <laughs> I say, you know, we ask the WWMWD, <laughs> what would Mitch <laughs> Warner do? Cause the guy's just so unlikely to get offended in a situation. Like he's so willing to listen to other people's opinions or criticisms and just recognize that somebody else's opinion right. and not take it as a reflection on himself, but right. like, but also have the humility to consider maybe they're right or maybe they're not. And anyway, he's like a Jedi master. On that <laughs> stuff, right? But you know, Jim and, and going back through the anatomy of peace and, and um, leadership and self-deception that are, they're so accessible the way they're written, mm-hmm. right? Everyone from the shop room floor to the CEO enjoys the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love Terry. Terry's like, my hero, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's got this book, the Oxford Papers, from papers that he wrote there. There's one called Anger and Similar Delusions. You can, I don't know if you can get it on Amazon, but you can get it on arbinger.com. Yeah. Amazing, amazing, like life-changing 50 pages, okay? But it was a little bit like reading legalese. Right. Like I was reading the same sentence three times to make right. sure I understood what it said, right? Mm-hmm. Where the way Jim and Mitch have, have written this, it, it's... Um, it's written for everyone. It's not like from a philosopher to a philosopher, right? Yeah. And um, I, I think that that has been a big benefit in um, this becoming a common language that a lot of people can have. If if they if multiple people in a group read this, you know, um, a whole team buys a book like this and reads it together, a everybody can get through it. Even the you know quote unquote non readers, right. right? They can get right. through it. The stories are interesting. It's it's accessible language, um, and then they've got this common language to talk to each other with, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so what I'm saying is, you basically need to call Arbinger to get a case <laughs> of this for your whole yeah. for your whole company. Yeah. Um, it's interesting though. I was thinking about um, what you just said about with your spouse, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, sometimes on the entrepreneurial side, sometimes it's really easy for me to feel like. Hey, this business is going to benefit for the fam is going to benefit the family. So if the pe- family needs to pay a little bit, you know, in lack of attention or lack of care right now, the family is the one that's going to benefit overall. Right. And it's really just like a justification. It's like uh, it's the way that I get rid of the tinge that maybe I'm not being as good a dad as I told myself I was going to be. Yeah. Or things like that. Yeah. Um, but I, I especially thought when you brought up the, you know this comparison of your to-dos list versus your wife's to-dos list, right? And I think it's the same thing that we can do, like our to-dos list versus our staff's to-do list, right? Right. Right. And for starters, never think about your spouse as a staff member. <laughs> can I just get that out there? <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to go well. Uh, okay. But, um, uh, but this idea of our natural propensity to, to inherently feel like, our to-dos list is more important. Mm-hmm. And and I think if any of us were to take a quiet moment and think about it, we wouldn't actually say that on our outside voice. Right. We wouldn't we wouldn't claim that to another person. Yeah. But if you look at our actions and the the choices we make, it sure seems like our priority list is the priority list. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um you know, we just had that show with the with the band members Vaughn Gray, mm-hmm. right? And uh on the show with Annika, we were talking about she's got kind of like a a goal-oriented personality type. And she and I were talking about bulldozing people (laughs) with our ideas, right? And she just brought up this idea of 
taking a minute for quiet reflection. And um, the idea of like self-knowledge and, you know, reading a book like this and saying, hey, I'm feeling a lot of extra emotion right now. Might this be a red flag that I, I have an inward mindset going on? Right. Um, it's funny to, to me to talk about this, knowing there's no way people are getting the feeling that you get by actually reading this book. Right, right. <laughs> like, man, we are limping along here. Uh, I hope they actually go read it. It's so good, yeah. But there's this kind of magic when they tell those stories and you're like, oh, crap, I do that. Right. I don't want to do that anymore. Right. Anyways, I find it motivating in that way. I do too. It's incredibly relatable. I think that's when I first read Leadership and Self-Deception, I was like, oh, my gosh. They've set this up in a way that I'm the guy in the chair. <laughs> They're messing with me right now. Yeah. <laughs> totally right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, final sales pitch. Why should somebody hop on Amazon and go buy The Outward Mindset yeah. by the Arbinger Institute? Um, it is life-changing. I think perspective is one of the most powerful things in the world. Um, I have had experiences that uh, they gave me certain skills that I could market in my business life. But it was when I, when I had that different perspective, that perspective shift, and I saw the world differently – uh, I was, I mean, I was powerful. I had influence, a good influence. Right. And I wanted to do good. And I, and it was incredible what perspective did and, and can do. Um, it's something that needs to be constantly nurtured and, f and refreshed. Um, and this book, their, their material is a way to do that. Uh, the outward mindset I specifically is just so practical. Uh, people can see applications for home and work uh, that you won't get anywhere else for this kind of stuff. That's great. You know, I think I've, I've got like an undying lifelong love for these guys. I feel like this is the material more than any other that helped me get over myself. Mm -hmm. I feel like it saved my marriage when it was in a rough spot, a uh, pretty iffy spot, you know? Um, and just, uh, yeah, the way they approach it more than anything ever in my life helped me realize it's not all about me right so right. let's leave it there okay thanks that was another installment of book review fridays thanks for listening we hope you'll also check out child rescue uh, from the menu on our website icollective.co and if this episode or any other episode really stood out to you or, or you have a story to tell us please email me um, at the email stories at icollective.co thanks so much Now is the time to find your color, your paint, and everything to get started during red, white, and blue savings at the Home Depot. Transforming your room is easier than ever. With the best deals online and in-store, you can confidently select your color and the tools for your next paint project. Get a colorful new experience and the right paint for the right price. Save $10 on one gallon and $40 off three and five gallons for a limited time only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing. Limit 25 gallons per household. See store for details.